Hi, everyone. I'm here with Manju, and she is the CEO of Thimble, and I'm very excited to visit with her today. She's got a fantastic uh, product, and I'm excited for what she's doing because this is going to be easy to explain. How many of you are afraid of needles? I mean, raise your hand. Most of us, I think, are afraid of needles or at least get that little bit of jitters when they're ready to stab it into you. So actually, your company, Thimble, has come up with a way to make that a much more pleasant experience, correct? That's exactly right. Okay. Yep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, tell us tell us a little bit about your background, uh, you know, what your educational background is and what the journey kind of you've taken now and what brought you to the point of saying, this is what I want to do in order to make a change. Sure. Yeah. I grew up on the East Coast uh, in Maryland, outside of D.C., and I went to college uh, in New York at Columbia, and I met my co-founder slash husband there. Um, and I, after college, I was a teacher for a year and um, then went to medical school at University of Maryland, did all my training in dermatology back in New York. Um, and about five years ago, um, I would say that's when that's when we kind of started working on this and kind of what brought us to this point was I have two daughters. And, you know, when I took my first daughter for her first set of vaccinations, um, I knew that this was going to be a good thing for her. You know, I was a resident actually at that time. So I was feeling super uh, empowered and all of that. And then, um, you know, but when I took her for the shots, this look that she gave me of like terror and betrayal, and you don't think that, you know, that a one month old is capable of such looks, but it happened. And I think a lot of parents could attest to that. Um, it really struck me and it was like, well, what am I doing? Like, why am I not protecting her? Um, and so I did going forward, you know, I built myself contraptions and, and use prescription medications and all of those things to help protect her and my other daughter going forward. And it was just remarkably helpful, not just with shots, but with even ear piercings and things like that. And, and I thought, you know, this is really unfair. I have all these privileges to give this to my own kids, but what about my patients and what about everybody else? So that was kind of the impetus for everything. That, that's fascinating. And yes, you have, you are an MD in dermatology, correct? And, uh, and so this also has other applications than just the, you know, the medical shot aspect of it that we, we will get into. But if I can ask you real quick, Manju, if you, Manju, if you can give me a quick elevator pitch as far as, you know, if you had just a, less than a couple minutes to share everything that you're doing from problem solution, you know, market, uh, monetization, all of that, give me a quick elevator pitch and then we'll dive into that a little deeper. Sure. So I'll kind of start from the beginning. So I'm Manju Dawkins and I created Thimble, which is a platform of pain and anxiety reducing products for blood draws, injections, including vaccines. I'm a physician, I'm a patient, and I'm also a mom. And as I mentioned, the first time I took my daughter in for her shots, I knew what I was doing was in her best interest, but nothing really prepares you for that look of terror and betrayal in your child's eyes when they get their shots. And so from that moment on, I knew I had to make sure that no kid and frankly, no person felt that way again. And the thing is, one in four adults now experience needle phobia and two out of three kids are just like my daughter, afraid of needles. Um, and the thing is, this needle phobia leads to avoidance of vaccines, blood tests, life-saving medications. And in fact, there was a recent 
Oxford study that showed that needle anxiety actually decreased COVID-19 vaccination rates by 10% in the UK. And so it shows that this avoidance costs not only the individual, but society as a whole. But the thing is, what if you could take all that away with just a simple patch, you know, and an app? And so that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. Our integrated portfolio of pain and anxiety reducing solutions address needle pain. And at the core is the patent pending thimble patch, which is the first over-the-counter, safe, and affordable medicated product to minimize needle pain. But the patch is also paired with this web application that has extensive educational resources to help lower anxiety. So the question is, are you ready to change the way healthcare feels? Okay, great, wonderful. So I think that's fairly self-explanatory, but let's let's delve into the actual, I think the problem, I don't think we even have to expound on the problem. I mean, it's fairly evident. And I think anyone that's watching this, any of the investors are going to understand challenge with needles. Uh, whether they personally have it or not, it's completely understandable. So let's talk about the patch itself in the app and how that helps reduce, you know, actually reduce the pain and the anxiety in that. Yeah. So actually, this is all based on research. Interestingly, you know, needle phobia and needle pain has been pretty much ignored by the United States. Uh, and so a lot of literature comes out of Canada, UK, Australia. Um, and there's a fantastic research, researcher named Anna Taddeo, who's really kind of codified what works and what doesn't. And they're, the first most important thing you can do is address the pain of needles. So that um, is easy, right? It should be easy. It's just numbing the skin prior to the injection. And so that's what this patch is doing. Um, now, pain is multifactorial. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's psychological. And so, you know, you've got to address all of that. And again, Dr. Tadio has laid out that what you can do to help that is breathing techniques, distraction, there are meditation, meditation techniques that can be used. Um, and then beyond that, for people who are really severely needle phobic, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure therapy, these are all things that can be helpful. And so it's really important to us to offer the app in conjunction with the physical product to really solve the problem holistically. So with the patch then, is the patch put on, does it administer like some type of um, for lack of better terms, being I'm not a medical person, like an anesthesiology kind of, and, you know, that type of uh, application that helps numb the pain, uh, then when the needle goes in, the patch is removed and then they stick it in, or does the needle go in through the patch or explain that process? Yes, there's a little bit that I can't really talk about on this video. Okay. Yes, the patch is applied before and it does deliver anesthetic into the skin. Um, and... I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second, but so you apply it to the skin, you leave it on uh, for about less than an hour. There's, there's a variation in time, but it's less than an hour. And then you remove a part of it before the procedure, and then you inject through. Um, and uh, one thing that I think is probably important to mention is people would think, well, this does seem really easy. Why hasn't this been done before? Um, but what's interesting is one, the problem has been ignored. Two, the anesthetics that are out there are really designed to be left on the skin for about eight to 12 hours. So you will see there are lidocaine, lidocaine creams on the market. There are prescription creams that combine lidocaine with other anesthetics. There are lidocaine patches out on the market. But again, all of these are meant to be left on the skin for eight to 12 hours for long-term pain control. What we're trying to do is numb the skin as quickly as possible 
and minimize the amount of medication that is absorbed. So that way it's safe for kids, it's safe for adults, and it's safe for more frequent use. Um, so hopefully that kind of clarifies sure. things a little bit. Sure. No, that, that and I appreciate that because we don't have the visuals as much, but now being you have a patch to show that's helpful. But of course, in the deck, you kind of cover some of those things. But uh, so you mentioned there are certain things you can't talk about. Let's talk about IPs then, because that's probably part of the reason there are certain things you can't talk about. Yes, exactly. So um, we have a very well-known um, IP law firm that's that's been helping us kind of from the beginning. And so we have one patent that's in conversion right now that protects both formulation as well as certain design aspects that um, the design elements actually uh, uh, have functionality as well, which is why I can't discuss everything just yet. Um, and there are also four other patents pending um, so uh, we've got kind of a little okay. Sure. Okay. Just so, you know, investors are, as you know, are interested in wondering if, you know, the patents are being approached. So that that's good information to have and don't expect you to give, you know, give out stuff that you can't give out right now. So that that's all we need. Uh, let's talk about the market and uh, the go-to-market strategy, because you have, I know on the go-to-market strategy and the revenue side, you have both a uh, customer consumer based uh plan and also a B2B plan, which I'm going to assume is like going into clinics or CVS's, Walgreens, whatever that might be that have their own internal uh, vaccination locations. Yes. So yes, the go-to-market strategy is actually really one of the toughest things to really pinpoint because I like to think about it by bucketing all needle procedures into four different categories. So there's preventative, which is all the vaccines. There's diagnostic, which is all the blood draws that people get. Uh, there is medication administration. So all of the biologics, insulin, all of the injectable medications. And, you know, one interesting fact about that, you know, if you look at the top 10 grossing drugs in the United States, something like eight out of 10 of them are all injectable medications. And most of those are medicines that the patient is injecting themselves at home. So I think that's a really important one to focus on. And finally, there's the elective category, which includes blood donations, but also, I'm a dermatologist, Botox filler, ear piercings, all of these things, tattoo. Um, and so the question is, where do you start? Um, and obviously COVID has really kind of dictated and shifted the way we plan to roll things out. Um, especially, you know, as you know, the, the pediatric vaccine was just approved. Um, and so it's on the top of everyone's mind. And honestly, what, as you know, from my founder's story, one of my passions is to really help prevent needle phobia by treating kids. And so what we want to do is start with pediatric vaccines. And so we would like to do some pilot studies with um, specific pediatric clinics. We've had discussions with a, a, a company that you might've heard of called Brave Care, um, who's run by uh, a multiple exit um, founder. Um, and he's basically started pediatric clinics in certain um, cities, Pacific Northwest, South, um, where they're really focused on kind of the patient experience. And that's part of what we're offering as well. Um, so we roll it out there. And then what we expect to see happen is, yes, there's this, we are marketing this as a direct-to-consumer product. So that's why all of the branding will be very intentional and elegant and, you know, something that you want to pick up. Um, and we think that the consumer is going to drive industry to respond. So this is going to create a new standard of care. So, you know, every time you go in to get a shot right now, you expect that they're going to give you a Band-Aid at the end of it. Mm -hmm. But what is that Band-Aid even really doing? It's not doing anything, right? But it makes you feel better. But what if there's something that 
now every clinic or every, you know, hospital or every time you get your insulin medication, you open it up and you get a thimble with that. It's, it's really going to, to kind of change the game, I think. And one of the things that I liken it to, it, it seems like a bit of a um, kind of a drastic comparison, but if you think about it, the whole field of anesthesiology is, is new. You know, anesthesia wasn't administered until the 1840s. Before that, you know, all you got was a shot of whiskey and they chopped your leg off and, and we accepted that. And then if you look oh, at- Oh, joy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and if you look at, you know, there weren't as many photographs back then, but if you look at the paintings of people's faces when they were getting their legs amputated, it is the same look that a, a child will give when they're being held down for a shot. And so I think the point is that that trauma that we're causing is the same trauma. And if we have an opportunity to prevent that, then we really should. Yeah, that, that's great. So uh, let's talk then about, you know, we have this market that we know that's there. Uh, that That's very evident. And, uh, and we just had a crash here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to, video editors are going to have to pause here. What am I looking at for time? My whole light system that I have rigged up here just crashed oh <laughs> that's okay needed a breather right <laughs> it's the first time that's occurred and it has you know happens to be with you oh good uh yeah i think we're back here so i guess we can get back into that uh i've got lighting enough anyway to i'll readjust this at another time but i think we're okay so okay we're going to take a pause here for the video, guys, and uh, we'll start from here. And now I can reframe where I'm at. Got the market. I kind of lost track of where I was going to flow into now. Uh, Go to market. Market revenue. Okay, let's get talk a little bit about revenue. So, okay. Uh, video editors, now we're going to get back into it. So... You know, that's fantastic. We've talked a little bit about the market now, which is obvious. And let's talk then about the revenue. Uh, do you have a price point that you've kind of already pinpointed for it and kind of projections, uh, margins, those type of things in regards to the product yet and how you kind of forecast that out as production goes up? Yes. Um, and so we're planning to sell an individual patch for $9 each. Um, and then obviously when you sell it in bulk, the price comes down quite a bit. Um, we have, what's interesting, we've done our own market surveys um, to kind of get a sense of what price people are willing to pay. And it's it's around that. I think people would like to pay less than $10. But what's also interesting is there's other um, research that shows that parents would spend up to $80 actually to have their child have a less painful vaccination experience. Wow. So actually there is, there, there is a range. And I think we have the ability to kind of create an expectation among, because this is, this is kind of a new um, sure. uh, category of product. That being said, one of our goals is to offer something that is affordable and accessible to everyone. We don't want this to be a luxury product. Everybody deserves the right to have their pain controlled. Um, so we would actually ideally like to push the price down. So we see ourselves as a um, kind of high margin, high volume, you know, business. Um, and so ultimately, as you know, so as I mentioned, individual patches sold for nine dollars each. But then um, when we talk about partnerships. You know, um, and this is something that, for example, you know, a target could offer to every patient when they're coming in for their flu shot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, 
at that point, it's free to the patient and it's a cost that Target maybe absorbs. And the reason why that makes sense is Target wants people, you've probably driven by and Target says free flu shot here and we'll give you a $10 gift certificate. So why do they do that? They want people in their stores. Number one, they get reimbursed, you know, to give to give the flu shot. Number two, you can't walk into Target and walk out without spending two hundred dollars. And so, you know, you you they want people in the door. Um, And so, you know, you know, I will just kind of point out some of the potential questions that people might have. Well, for example, if this has to be left on for 45 minutes, isn't that going to be a problem? Well, if you think about it, it can also be an advantage. So again, that patient that's coming into Target or consumer that's coming into Target, if the pharmacist says, stick this on, come back, um, you know, after you've done your shopping and, and, and we'll give you the shot, that's a win, win, win for the Target, for pay, the patient and, and, and for Thimble, you know what I mean? So, um, and the same way when you think about that, just to address the timing issue, when you're administering medication at home, it's a really easy thing. You slap this on, you you eat your dinner, and then you, you come back and you do your thing. Um, so uh, I think a I went great, off target. Great marketing sales strategy there. I mean, it, it, that's dynamite. Yeah. Thanks. So uh, I think I think that's you know pretty self-explanatory. What what are the margins right now at the nine dollar price point? Uh, so nine dollar, it is a. I got to get my numbers straight. Um, it is a, uh, I think it's a 40% margin. Hold on. Let me just check. I don't want to tell you the wrong answer. I know this is going to break up the, uh, Ah, that's fine. This is all part of it. I said, this is a candid conversation. It's all right. Yeah. You know, what, what's interesting is we actually got new information over the past few weeks that changed our strategy and changed our, um, and changed our pricing actually. So that's why I'm kind of fumbling over the margins. But um, so when you go direct to consumer with the patch for $9, it's a 78% margin. And then when you scale, the plan is to sell, for example, 100 patches for $500. And then the margin is 60%. But obviously a volume at that point. Fantastic. Okay. That's wonderful. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, competition. Really, there's not much for competition out there, but talk about competition. Yeah, that is a great question. So it's shocking, right? Such a huge problem. Um, sorry, I got a uh, patient over here. Give me That's a few fine. minutes, okay? Is it um, going to demonstrate there? Are she going to yeah, demonstrate the Exactly, <laughs> exactly. She's you got a needle there? <laughs> one of the guinea pigs, you know, my, my poor kids. Anyways, yeah. um, uh, so I was, now I've lost my train of thought. That's we okay. were talking about. Um, we were talking about competition. Competition, yes. Okay. Right. So huge market. Why is there no competition? Well, I think part of the problem is, as I mentioned, it's not really been addressed in the United States very well. Um, and so what people are doing now, you know, I, as a physician, what I do for my own patients is I will write them a prescription for EMLA. EMLA is a prescription cream that has lidocaine and prilocaine. And so when you combine those two anesthetics, it actually increases the risk of something called methemoglobinemia, which can kill babies. So not, not a, not a, not a good thing. Um, and so the problem is it's a prescription. So now you don't know what your cost is. It depends on your insurance coverage. You've got to make an extra trip to the doctor to get the prescription. You've got to make an extra. So there are lots of barriers um, for use. And the way you use that medicine is you've got to really glob it on. It's not like a regular cream where you just rub it in. You've got to put a large quantity of medicine and you must occlude it um, with either saran wrap. The medicine melts. It, 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 it presents all sorts of problems. Um, uh, and again, that was designed to be left on the skin more long-term, eight to 12 hours. So for it to reach its max efficacy, it actually takes two to three hours. Um, so 
that's exactly what we're trying to solve for. So we tried to address all those things to make something that was easy to use, that works more quickly, um, you know, that is more elegant, um, all of these things. So what else is out there? Um, there is another prescription that is relatively new and it's called Sonera. Sonera is a heated pod with a lidocaine and tetracaine patch. So again, it's got two anesthetics, increases that risk of methemoglobinemia and the heated pod potentially increases the risk of burns. Um, but I really like the idea. Again, it's a prescription. So there's this barrier. And the other problem is I, as a physician, have never heard of it. It's never been marketed to me. And I've never met a physician in the United States that's ever heard of it or prescribed it. So I think it's hard to really change practice, prescribing practices, as, as a lot of people know. Um, another device that's out there that's being used, um, which is not, uh, does not numb the skin, uh, but does help with needle pain is something called Buzzy. And it's basically a vibrating toy. It looks like a bee uh, and it has these ice pack wings. So you have to have a freezer handy and it's really best utilized in the clinic setting. So the, the, the doctor's office should really have it there. They've got to go back and forth to the freezer to get the wings and then you apply it proximal to the injection site and it helps distract those nerves that send the message back to the brain. Um, so again, great thing. The, co the price point of that's pretty high actually. So it's $99 for that, um, for that device. You can get a smaller one for 40, uh, $49. But the price point is, is pretty high for what it is, I think. Um, and then finally, there are these over-the-counter creams, um, lidocaine cream. The one that works best is what's called LMX4, and that's a liposomal lidocaine cream. Um, but again, people are not aware of it. It's not marketed for needle pain. So people don't know to get it, how much to use, where to put all of, all of these things. So. That's what we're trying to solve for. Fantastic. Well, you, you've obviously researched well. And then the important thing to point out as well is that some of these, you know, products, uh, products that you're talking about are prescription based where yours is an over the counter, correct? So exactly. you don't have to worry about that aspect. So that, that, you know, when we're talking anything in the medical field, uh, you know, there's that great old FDA that comes into play. So let's talk about the stage that you're at and the role, the regulatory, you know, stage that you're at and how that process is looking as far as timeline and milestones goes. Yes. So we have taken on uh, a fabulous regulatory firm that has given us great guidance um, and has deemed that we would, would need to pursue a 510K, which med device. Um, and we do have a predicate device to, to kind of prepare ourselves to, and they estimate that it would take about 12 to 18 months that's a conservative estimation um, uh, to, to get through to clearance. Um, and they do not foresee any, any kind of hurdles. We just have to do the work. Sure. So. Okay. And so when do you, when do you project then? So uh, you're looking at probably a couple of years before going into revenue or being able to get the product to the consumer? Actually, I think that we should be ready to go as soon as clearance comes, because what our plan is, is to, to pilot, you know, you do these studies in the interim. And so we plan to kind of pilot. We are conforming partnerships with another company that has already established relationships with hospital systems and such. And they are focused on the problem of needle pain or in the inpatient setting, but we could slide right in and, and basically take care of the outpatient okay. um, side of things. And so we have these these kind of pilots that that show proof, and then we'll also be branded, so they will we will be building brand kind of equity and brand loyalty and all of that. The other thing is we'd like to start the app side of things immediately. 
you know, people are getting their COVID vaccines right now. And so we want to be able to offer something, you know, there are a lot of free tools that people could use to help them get through uh, all of their needle procedures. So we want to offer that now again, to kind of get our name out there, build our brand so that in 12 to 18 months, we're ready to go because we will theoretically have our um, kind of manufacturing. We're, we're in talks right now um, with potential manufacturers that have the ability to scale and to scale quickly. And so we'll already be piloting in the thousands. And so, you know, what they're saying is their ability to kind of escalate that, you know, that we should not have a problem. So, so hopefully sooner refer, than that. As I refer to it, you're planting the seeds. So, yes. yes. So, uh, okay, phenomenal. The one thing we haven't really covered now is the rest of your team. Who do you have as far as the rest of your team and share, you know, what they bring to the table and you have a solid team. So I'll let you talk about it. Sure. So uh, my co-founder is uh, Armand Dawkins, and um, we met, like I said, in undergrad at Columbia, and then he did his MBA at Cornell. He has been in finance for um, essentially all of his career. He worked for 16 years at J.P. Morgan, um, kind of ended up in mergers and acquisitions, and he is now the CFO of a uh, a company called Social Live, which is a SaaS business that. Well, I don't want to jinx anything, but hopefully good things are happening on that front soon, too. Um, and so um, uh, he kind of provides the financial and, and, and business acumen that we need. We also have an excellent creative director, Summer Kiriskova. She has her own um, studio called Season, and she has really spearheaded the brand. And so even what you see in, in our deck and kind of on our site that is essentially her working for free. So when we're able to actually wow. pay her, like her capability is 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 endless. She's worked with huge companies, you know, Amazon, Starbucks, Microsoft. So she's done really incredible work for for a lot of huge corporations. So we feel very um, lucky to have her on board. And she's not just you know she started as a copywriter, but that's not really her her only strength. She's a real strategy person too, and really has the ability to oversee the brand in, in a special way. Um, we also have um, uh, a lot of great advisors. So um, Jonka Bull is an ex-FDA person, also um, has a lot of knowledge about um, the issues with diversity um, in kind of pharmaceutical and, and drug kind of development and all of those things. So she's been a great resource to us. Um, we have some people that are not actually in the deck um, psychiatrists and psychologists who are um, interested in joining, not only in providing content for the app, but also one of our psychiatrists is, is an MPH as well. So he's very interested in the public health aspect. Um, Lacante Dill is another public health expert, PhD. Um, she just moved from NYU actually to Michigan. Um, and um, some other great, um, there's so many people. So Alex Gums is um, also Columbia undergrad, Columbia MBA, and he had been at Medtronic and is now at Cardinal Health. Um, so a lot of med device experience and like knows go-to-market strategy and all of that. Um, Clarence Wooten is uh, currently at X. So he's uh, he's he's been through it. He's a founder himself and has, has run an accelerator. Um, so he knows how to kind of get things off the ground. Um, uh, I don't. I don't want to forget anybody. Um, it's it's okay. I mean, you have a lot. I mean, you don't need to go through all of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll understand if you you know 
couldn't get through everybody, but uh, no, that's fantastic. You have a, you know, a very strong, solid team from, you know, especially some of the companies that, you know, the backgrounds of the individuals on your, on your team. So that's always good. Talk about, uh, talk about the future projection. What are you looking at as far as your milestones in, as far as, you know, you, we talked a little bit about, you know, revenue and all of that, but what's the plan for exit? What do you foresee there as far as the runway, the, you know, the long-term plan there? Yeah, I, I, I really foresee us growing very quickly because I think this is something that consumers have, have always wanted and didn't know was, was available. And we can even see it in our market surveys and even in our, in our beta testing that people just keep asking for more. And so we do really do want to be ready to go as soon as that clearance comes through. And we expect quick growth and we want to start to plant the seeds of um, these partnerships early, you know, so we're already starting to talk to, you know, the Walgreens and all of these, you know, potential future, um, you know, investors and acquirers, you know, ultimately, that's what I see happening. I, I do really, I honestly believe this has the ability to become I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx anything, but I have, I think it does have the ability to become a unicorn because this is a whole. We know healthcare is just a huge industry, um, and this is the way things are going. Healthcare is is becoming more and more of a, of a kind of a customer service business in some ways. But I think this is a really important, important thing to address. Like we have to be more empathic. We have to think about the human experience and how it affects people's. Um, kind of partaking in the healthcare system. And I think that, you know, this is a good thing that that hospital systems are going to recognize, like, you know what, this is going to, insurance companies going to recognize, this is going to make people adhere, you know, to health interventions that are going to help them and keep people healthy. Um, and so ultimately, you know, who's going to acquire us? I think there's, there are a lot of options out there, because as I mentioned, there's so many categories where we could penetrate. I think, um, you know, one of the companies that I think make sense is Becton Dickinson, which is like the largest needle manufacturer. Um, and you would, so they want people to keep using needles, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. But they're also paying attention to the problem. They know that people hate needles. And so they actually recently acquired a company called Volano Vascular, which helps to minimize the number of needle sticks while a patient is in the hospital. So in other words, they blood, draw blood off of the IV instead of resticking the patient every morning for their morning labs. Um, and they acquired them for a lot of money. And so they see the potential and we're actually uh, kind of close with, with the uh, founder of, of that company. And so that's been a huge resource for us. So that's one, one area I see, but one of the other ones is actually, you know, one that I talked about, I think in the deck is, is CVS or one of these, you know, big, bigger sure. retail pharmacies. Cause as you know, CVS, is huge and they have CVS Health, they have CVS Pharmacy. So they are basically giving every kind of needle there is. And so, and they also want to gain market share. They want everybody to come to their to them for healthcare. And it's a real way to differentiate. Say, you know, at CVS, we care about the patient's experience. We care about their pain. You know, we have symbol kind of thing. And so um, I think there's a lot of potential acquirers. You know. And like you said, I mean, they at CVS, because of their overall mission, uh, and the way that they market and brand, I mean, come in, here's your free patch that's going to help with, uh, help with the process of getting that shop, that shot. And in the meantime, do your shopping and, uh, come back and take care of that. 
And so, you know, it's a win-win, like you said, for everybody. Uh, you mentioned investors when we talked about exits. So I would like to ask you, uh, you've already done some raising. You, you're raised. You're currently raising a million, is, it, is that correct? We're raising a million, Talk yes. about your raise and the usage of funds there. Sure. Well, so to start, we put in about 170K, 70, 175K of our own money. Um, uh, and so we kind of preceded ourselves in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and so now we've, we've started our current raise. Um, we are verbally committed for about 250 of that right now. And we're in talks with a, uh, a VC who um, would potentially come in for about 500K, but there's still work to be done on that. Um, and so, and the whole idea is that hopefully that opens the door to another um, strategic investor to come in. Um, to take us to that next level when we need it. And that would give us about 18 months of runway. Okay. Um, and so that would take us through all the way to clearance to be able to sell, you know, to, to be able to be on the market. And that gets us to uh, a lot of the regulatory work that has to be done, all of the patent conversion, all, you know, lawyers, 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 all of the lawyers. Sure. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, and through piloting, um, and also through that web app development that I, I really think is important. Um, so I think it would get us to a really good position with really solid milestones. And I am going to throw in that on your deck, you have the breakdown, you have it done very well and, you know, very specific as far as the breakdown of the usage of those funds. So that's, that's important to note. So to end, let's, let's talk a little bit more about investors. What, what are some of the, maybe some of the roadblocks or summing blocks you've ran into you know, in raising funds for this. And, uh, and then I'm going to ask you, you know, what is, what is your ideal investor? Who do you envision as your ideal investor as far as what they're, who they're about? And because investors always talk about who their perfect startup is or what that looks like. Talk about what your perfect investor looks like when you share a story about maybe a pain point in fundraising. Sure. I would say, you know, over the past uh, even few months, it's gotten easier and easier to explain Thimble. I think uh, early on, people didn't really understand that needle pain was a big deal or a problem and, and, and you know, strange COVID blessings, right? So um, it has gotten easier to explain. I think initially we were talking to a lot of um, VCs that really are used to later stage companies and also VCs and investors that deal with non kind of med device products. So, you know, they want to see sales and, and, and all of that. And they, that's how they think of traction. And so um, I think that was probably initial difficulty. Um, and, you know, it, it is always a risk when you have to deal with the FDA. But again, we fairly recently got this news about, um, about our, the 510k possibility, because um, that was new. We had actually pursued a different version of Thimble up until pretty recently. And so now it's, it's frankly a lot easier to sell. Um, I would say um, the question about the, the ideal investor, um, I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned kind of raising is that, you know, people who don't know medicine or um, healthcare or science, it's a little bit harder to explain how the process um of an FDA clearance works and all of that. And, and it's scarier for them, I think, but I think somebody who's already seen this and understands what the timing is and, and what the risk is. And, and I feel very um, kind of lucky that, 
that we're able to pursue a 510k because the risk is much, 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 much less and the investment is much, much less. So um, I would say an investor who believes in the mission, because for me, that is really important. You know, the idea is to have something affordable and accessible for all. It is not to gouge people and it is not to, you know, I really do think of this as an, as an impact investment. So some, so I guess I would say that the ideal investor would be somebody who understands health, but yet understands impact, you know, isn't just in it for the money, but understands the vision. Um, and, um, and understands that, that I might do things a little bit differently than the typical, you know, um, CEO might. And I think that's a very good thing. Um, I think that I might think things differently and take a more long-term approach about things. And I, I actually think that's a huge advantage that people might not understand. So somebody who actually truly believes in, in, in me and our team. Okay, fantastic. You know, that's great. You've shared so much great information for, you know, the people that are going to be watching this, the investors. And the one thing I have to comment too is on the name Thimble. I mean, I don't know how much, how many of the younger generation even know what a thimble is, but having grown up with a mother who used a thimble when she was sewing and doing all that, you know, the what a wonderful, clever name to have for your company as far as protection from the needle and naming a thimble. So kudos for you for thinking of that. And I think it's, you know, really demonstrates what you're doing so well. And, uh, you know, I want to wish you the best. Thank you for your time. It's been a delight to speak with you and find out more about you and Thimble. And I do, I wish you the best of success in the future. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Okay, <laughs> Thank you. Great. Have a, have a great evening. You too.